He's Pittsburgh-born, and we like him that way. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere. This is the Adam Crowley Show. Cinderella boy. On 970 ESPN, and now on 106.3 FM. Chopped in the near corner by Savard, pinching is cold. His shot comes behind the net for Gensel. Gensel in the far corner, back to the point for Alexiak. Picks it up on the forehand, flips one towards the net, score! It changed direction on the way in, and it did so off the stick of Riley Sheehan. And less than two minutes into this one, it's one nothing Penguin. It's Atkinson up the right wing for Dubois, knocked away from him. Here come the Penguins again. It's Gensel down the left wing. He'll wind it, blast and score! Jake Gensel, a bullet, makes it 5-2 pens. Poor Sergei Bobrovsky. The only people who have a worse weekend than Bobrovsky were Kevin Stallings and Fergie. Maybe Bobrovsky should start taking some of those supplements that Russian curler was taking. I haven't seen a Russian get pounded like Bobrovsky since Ivan Drago at the end of Rocky IV. No Russian has had it run down their leg like that since the girl in the secret Trump Moscow hotel video. At one point, Laura Ingram interrupted her own broadcast to tell Sergei Bobrovsky to just shut up and butterfly. The Penguins were so harsh to Sergei Bobrovsky yesterday, management at WEEI Radio in Boston is making them forfeit their next game to go to sensitivity training. I actually thought during the game yesterday, Bobrovsky flashed a boob at Riley Shea in hopes of distracting him like that French ice dancer. That didn't work either. I'm Tim Benz. This is the Adam Crowley Show. I'm in for Adam until Thursday. Between now and then, in an effort to take this show to a higher level, I am waxing everything on my body, including my armpits, piercing both nipples, and I plan to have KDO married off by 5.15 on Thursday. Now, I'm not sure if she's a Republican or not, but if things don't work out between her and the coffee shop musician, maybe she can join that new Trump supporter dating website that got so much buzz this weekend. As I read from a couple people on Twitter, I believe it's called OK Stupid. Now, if she's a liberal, believe it or not, there is a Bernie Sanders one I found out today. I'm not kidding. There's a Bernie Sanders one, too. This isn't a joke, although it is officially yet to be named. I suggested either A, I'm not with her. Or B, better luck next time. Uh, let's go to the Penguins. Uh, Pittsburgh scores five goals again. Wins over Columbus, 5-2. to two. Riley Shane scores twice. And uh, congratulations to him. He's done in the span of three months what it took Marc-Andre Fleury about ten years to accomplish. He's gone from, we hate you, everything is your fault guy, to, we're sorry, we blamed you for everything, now we're going to turn you into a God guy. That's what Shane has become already. That's what Penguin fans tend to do. They find one single identifiable whipping boy, they blame him for everything that when they don't want to blame the other hockey deities on the team for anything, like Sid, Gino, Sully, and Kessel, and then when that guy starts to perform better, they turn him into the Pope. And that's what's happening now to Riley Shane. People crushed him for not being good enough when he first got here. People were all over him. Now he's playing great, and now we act like any discussion of bringing in another center before the deadline is somehow a diss to Raleigh Sheehan. And it isn't. It's just not. Wanting one more center is not an indictment of the play of the other three centers, including Riley Sheehan. And I don't know why some people don't get that. 
Like, last time I checked, the Penguins lost two centers from last year. Nick Benino and Matt Cullen. We all knew Benino was going to leave. That was a fait accompli, so we understood. We anticipated it. There was no big reaction. But when Dad left, we all acted like our real dad was leaving. Like Papa Matt went out and said he was going to go get a pack of smokes and some diapers and then never came home. Shane, to me, is playing close enough to or even beyond in many ways the level of Nick Benino to the point that you could call him your third-line center if you wanted to. So fine. Call him that if your Catholic guilt is kicking in and you feel the need to overcompensate for any criticism you may have levied against him a few months ago. But that doesn't mean that Jim Rutherford shouldn't look to go out and get another center. You've only replaced Benino. You haven't replaced Cullen. So I look at it this way. It doesn't have to be Derek Broussard, although that's who I want, and we'll get into that in just a minute, but it doesn't have to be him. It can be Mark Letestu or Placanic or J.G. Pajot or any of the other names that you've heard thrown around town. If y'all like Shane so much, make him your third-line center, keep him with Kessel, and let's see how that goes if you want. And call the new guy soon-to-be-acquired center X, call him the fourth-line guy instead. If that sounds better to you, more appealing than third-line center and demoting Riley Shea, and if the nomenclature is really that important to you, fine. 412-922-2874. But I do want Brassard, and here's why. If you like Shane so much doing what he's doing, then allow him to keep doing that. He shouldn't then be asked to do very much more. And, and what's one thing that Sid and Gino haven't done this year? Like, give me the one thing that Malkin and Crosby have yet to do this year. I'll wait. It's okay. I'll, I'll wait. That's right. Get hurt. They really haven't been injured for that long. There's been no significant cataclysmic out for a number of weeks extended stretch of injury where you weren't sure if they were going to come back kind of massive time on the injury list for those guys. Somehow, someway, the Penguins have managed to avoid that. Now, quick, find the dumbest guy you know and knock on their head. I'll knock on wood for you as loud as I can. But if they do get hurt... I don't think that Riley Shane is qualified to jump up to the second line and assume that status. I think Broussard is. I also think Broussard can help you out on the power play at the points or from the right circle if you want. I don't think Shane does that. Maybe more of a net front guy on the second unit, but not in the areas of the ice where Sid and Gino usually go. If Sid or Gino go down for five games in a series, I think Broussard maybe gets you through it. I think you can still then distribute the lines evenly. If it's Shane by himself, and what, then Carter Rowney gets moved up to your third-line guy? Good luck with that. Even if it's Peugeot or Letestu, good luck with that. And then what? Rowney goes back to being your fourth-line guy? Or even your third-line guy if you don't acquire anyone? I mean, if he's your third-line guy, what's the point of having the fourth-line? Who's your fourth-line center going to be? Is Derek Broussard worth the asking price? I actually think he is. I'm warming up to that idea more and more. If the asking price for Broussard is Gustafson or DeSmith plus Sprung and a pick, I'll do it. If the asking price is 
Gustafson plus Shiri in a pick, I'd do it. How high of a pick? Well, that depends on how much salary Ottawa is willing to eat this year for Broussard. Or maybe if they don't eat salary, then they have to take back Hunwick in exchange. The only guy who I wouldn't give up that's been rumored is Tristan Jari. Daniel Sprong, as part of this analysis, to me, going back the other direction, that's not as scary as a lot of people are making it out to be. And the reason I say that is not because of how I feel about him or how you feel about him or how many of the other fans and bloggers and folks on Twitter feel about him and what his potential is. We all love it. I think he should be playing more. I think he should have gotten a more sincere shot than he has by now. I'm agreeing with you. I think he should be getting more playing time. They should have given him a more extended look and lived with the ups and downs. But they don't want to. It's not what we think about him. It's what they think about him. And they don't seem to be sold. They keep looking at what Daniel Sprung isn't as opposed to what he could be like you and I do. And that may not change. So we can keep saying, you can't give up on Sprong, you can't give up on Sprong, and yeah, I'd listen to that, but I don't think they're going to. And they're certainly, if they're not willing to live with the ups and downs of Daniel Sprong against the Dallas Stars in, I don't know, whatever it was, game number 49, they're not going to be living to, or be able to live up with the ups and downs of Daniel Sprong during the playoffs. They just won't. They won't live with the inconsistency or the lack of defense or the lack of attention to detail. And if you're trying to win this year, then get a guy in Broussard who's going to be good for you this year and next year as well, and then you worry about the cap implications next season after you've somehow set them off this year. Jari, though, is too important to me. This year and in the future, given Matt Murray's injury history. If any team has shown the need for goalie depth, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins. If any team has showed us why you need two really good goalies, it's the Pens. I'd rather keep the more known commodity with more NHL experience right now with them staring down the barrel of the playoffs with Jari than perhaps the higher-end guy in Gustafson who's not going to play until well down the line. So, I still want Broussard, and if not him, I want someone. And that's not a slap in the face to Riley Sheehan. That's not dissing what Jim Rutherford has done, and you know I get sick of that. You can't question anything Rutherford or Sullivan or any of these guys have ever done because they've won cups, and yeah, maybe some of Rutherford's moves are rounding into form now. Ryan Reeves is starting to show that uh, he was a more worthwhile trade than what he did at the start of the season. We'll see more about that as time goes on. Uh, Shane is starting to bear fruit. You're not going to get Anthony Niemi back to give him a second chance, though. And, and are we all that thrilled with Hunwick? Yeah, he's starting to play a little bit better. Certainly he's done one well the last two games, or at least better than he had anyway, the last two games while Justin Schultz has been out. But, you know, it's not a diss on Rutherford to say, he hasn't done anything yet! I'm not saying that. You know, I wasn't necessarily anticipating a real move of substance before the deadline when they didn't come out of camp with anybody better than what they had before they got Shane in the first place. So don't get your dander up saying, oh, you're picking on Grandpa Jim. No, I'm not. I'm just saying I would like someone else. If it can't be done, 
If Ottawa's stupid about what they're asking for in return for Bassard, don't get dumb and overpay. No, I'm not going down that path. But my grander point is, don't rest on your... like. There, there are people who are saying right now, well, they're playing so well, don't mess with it. Well, you're going to have to mess with it. In some way, shape, or form, you're going to have to mess with it when Patrick Hornquist comes back. You know, of these wingers that are doing really well right now, somebody's getting bumped down to the fourth line. There's going to be some upheaval regardless. So something's going to have to be messed with. And that's part of the reason, again, why I wouldn't be so diametrically opposed to Connor Sherry going out in exchange, especially since now it looks like Sid has at least found one guy he can play with in Zach Aston Reese, and maybe you could put somebody else on a wing with him. Or if they're talking about going out and getting Michael Grabner, which is another option that people love, he's a winger. And if he comes in the wing, then somebody else is going to get redistributed and somebody else is going to have to play with Sid, or maybe it's going to be him. And somebody else gets booted off of his line. So just because the Penguins are playing well right now, to me, that doesn't mean, well, you just rest on your laurels and say they're playing well enough, don't do anything. In fact, I tend to think the opposite way now. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, hey, maybe they can win three in a row. Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at their chances, and I'm saying to myself, you know what? Maybe they're not worse than Washington. Maybe they're better than Washington. Let's give them the best possible weapons to make sure that happens. You know, maybe they can beat one of these teams that already has 70-something points coming up on 80 points from the other division, from the Atlantic. Best gird them as humanly possible to take on the Leafs or the Bruins or somebody like that in an Eastern Conference final. You know, the Flyers seem to be getting better. Okay, well, they'll give them a chance to upset Pittsburgh then. You know, this could be a potential for them to get a third cup in a row. So be in the best proper position to do it. Don't just say, oh, they're playing okay now. So, you know, we're going to ride this hot streak all the way in the playoffs. You know, that kind of worked in 2016. You're right. But never forget, and I think it's one of the most under-discussed things in Pittsburgh about the Penguins and the job that they've done to win their back-to-back cups. Never forget, they are four for four in elimination games under Mike Sullivan. Four for four. They beat Tampa Bay twice. Ottawa once, and Washington once. Four for four. That's pretty tough to do. Four times they've been on the precipice of being knocked out. One of them went to double overtime. The other one was a nail-biter against Washington. The other one uh, against uh, Jonathan Drew and the Lightning, you know, they needed a, a kind of fluky offsides play to go their way to be in position to win that game. So they were on the precipice of losing by a hair, by a gnat's eyelash a couple times. So best bolster yourself to be in position to have that go your way again. Don't just rest on your laurels because, oh, they're playing well enough now in February. April, May, that's a long way off. And as we all know, teams get tested. Uh, need you go back further than last year against Washington when they were in control of that series and Matt Niskanen cross-checks Sidney Crosby in the head, gets a concussion, gets bent over backwards on his knee. I mean, he was probably a couple inches away from an ACL and maybe you know a couple inches away from another major concussion instead of a minor one. Get Derek Broussard so if something like that happens, you can at least, at least buy some time until the next round. That's my point on it.
You could agree or disagree. 412-922-2874. Plenty more to get to. When we come back, we'll talk Pirates and uh, what was said today in spring training and some of the noise that came out from Bradenton this weekend as it related to both uh, Josh Harrison and David Freeze. Dale Lolly coming up before the top of the hour for his usual Monday hit with Adam. Matt Williamson next hour and some of the comments from Arthur Motes as well. Uh, I thought he had some very interesting comments about the state of the defense for the Steelers moving forward. We're going to get into uh, Laura Ingram's rant about LeBron James. I guess he did shut up and dribble, and he won the MVP of the All-Star game. Fergie in the anthem, we will play for you. I don't know if I can say we're going to play it in its entirety because you won't make it. I know I didn't, but I'll give you a taste. And uh, we got to get to Lev Bell and day one of franchise window day opening up tomorrow. We'll get to that, too. All that here on the Adam Crowley Show. Tim Ben sitting in. Four o'clock hour of the Crowley Show. Oh, this is this is fabulous here. Tim Ben's in for Adam. Um, I saw the list of rules changes for Major League Baseball in an effort to speed up the game. Uh, I've got a little bit more of a uh, enhanced definition now in front of me here. If you're just tuning in, we talked a lot of Penguins to start the show. I am of the opinion that the Penguins should continue to investigate the trade market. I'm of the opinion that the Penguins should definitely try to go out and get themselves another center. Uh, that's not a slap in the face to Riley Shane, as is now believed to be the popular stance. They lost two centers from last year, so get two centers now. He's number one. Get a second one to be behind Sid and Gino. What do you think? 412-922-2874. And I also want your thoughts on the ideas to speed up Major League Baseball. Here's what the AP wrote today. Major League Baseball imposed stricter limits on mound visits by players in an effort to speed games, but decided against a 20-second pitch clock for 2018. After more than a year of negotiations, Major League Baseball's Player Association refused to agree to the changes, but also signed an agreement that will not oppose the rules. Okay, so that's where we are. We, we can't even agree to an agreement. There's just going to be an agreement, and maybe we'll sign off on it later if we agree upon it. Got it? Good. The amendments to the playing rules announced Monday include a general limit of six mound visits per nine innings without a pitching change, whether by a manager, coach, or player. My first thought when I heard that was, you can still have six. Six? Do you really need six? How about two? And then I'll wiggle from there, maybe. Six? Without mandating a change? That's asinine. I'd start right there and say they're not going far enough. To assuage players' concerns about sign-stealing, Major League Baseball will install new telephone lines from dugouts to video replay rooms. Major League Baseball said the lines will be monitored, and a person familiar with the decision told the AP, all conversations on the lines will be recorded. The person spoke on the condition of anonymity because that detail was not yet announced. So it's going to be like the KGB monitoring what Ray Searage is saying to the replay room, or Clint Hurdle, for that matter. MLB is the right to make playing rules changes absent an agreement with one-year notice 
and made proposals during the 2016-17 offseason for a pitch clock and more restrictions on mound visits. Um, here's the quote from Rob Manfred. I'm pleased that we were able to reach an understanding with the players. My strong preference is to continue to have ongoing dialogue with players on this topic to find mutually acceptable solutions. Tony Clark, who's the union head, pointed out that the side technically didn't reach a deal yet. The focus on mound visits and or the level of commitment on the other pieces simply didn't focus enough attention on the areas the players wanted to address, so no amendment was reached. Okay, look, I'm so confused just reading that, I don't know where we are. And, like, they're going to spend more time arguing over what was or wasn't a mound visit than they are over time saved during the lack of mound visits. Because, like, that to me is still the funniest thing out of all this, is that when a manager wants to get ejected or has already been ejected, he still comes out and yells anyway, and you still lose all that time to begin with. And then you get these old-timey yahoos who say, that's baseball to me. That's what I know about baseball. That's excitement to me. What? That's excitement to you. To see Clint Hurdle waddle out there with his surgically repaired hip to yell at an equally out-of-shape umpire for 10 minutes. Like, that's exciting? Like you, you come to a baseball game to see that? I don't. But the funny thing to me is that the players' union is balking at this idea of fewer mound visits when the pitcher is the one that acts all pissy every time there's a mound visit. Like Garrett Cole, just as a for instance. You know, anytime somebody came out to him and had talked to him, you know, he acted like a 16-year-old who got a C-plus on his report card and was mad that he was getting a lecture from his mom and dad. He'd stomp the mound, he'd pace, he'd put the glove over his face and bark back. Like, the pitchers are the ones that get the most pissy when there's a mound visit to begin with. And now they're the ones upset that you're trying to trim the number of mound visits? What's that about? Until now, the only restriction, this is back to the AP report, until now, the only restriction on mound visits was a second visit to the same pitcher during an inning by a manager or a coach, and that resulted in automatic pitching change. The number of visits by catchers during games has increased in recent years, contributing to the average time of a nine in- I'll say this again. The average time of a nine-inning game stretching to a record three hours, five minutes last season, up from 246 in 2005. Okay, now, I've been doing talk radio since 1999, and we've been talking about speeding up games since then. And long before I started doing this. So if it was 246 in 2005 and people were bitching then, and it's 305 now, then there's still a problem and it's gotten worse, obviously. And, and that little line there about like the catchers figuring this out, like you're taking away the mound visits from the managers. So how do they do it? They have the catchers do it more often. They say something to the catcher. The catcher goes out and visits or walks halfway or kind of stands in front of home plate and buys a little time. It's sort of like um, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. Nature will find a way. The players will always find a way to slow down the game. They always will. Like We could keep doing whatever we want, but it's sort of the, the, this course of evolution or whatever the opposite is of that to slow the game down by the players. If, if there's a way to do it, they'll do it. 
to buy more time, have more thought. Like, you know, the Mark Burleys of the world are few and far between, where it's just, I've got my game plan in front, I know what it's going to be, give me the ball, turn around, go back and throw it. Those guys are few and far between. And everything is so thought out now, and the pitchers so rarely work on gut instinct, and they're spoon-fed everything, and so much of it is coming from the dugout, that of course it's going to add 15 minutes to a game. Another one here. MLB is eliminating the rules, guaranteeing eight warm-up pitchers before a half inning in an effort to keep between innings inning breaks to 2.05 for most games, 2.25 for regular season games, and uh, 2.55 for national television games and then the uh, postseason games. There are, rec- are exceptions relating to injury if the pitcher or catcher finishes the previous half inning on base, at bat, or on deck. Now, what is absent from all of this, what has failed to be outlined is, what is the penalty? Like, for instance, they're talking about having a clock, but not on the field. And if a pitcher is working too slowly, then the commissioner has the right to, like, fine him behind the scenes, that sort of thing. Work behind the scenes, that's what they're going to do. That's apparently what's going to take place here. But are we talking about a penalty for a pitcher based on a ball or strike? Is it a balk? Is there a difference if there's a guy on base or if there isn't? What if the batter does it? Does he get hit with a strike? Like, that sort of stuff is not being outlined in what I'm reading anyway from the AP. And and who's going to keep track of it? Is it the home plate umpire? Is there an eye in the sky? Is Al Riveron involved in any way? That's what needs to be determined here. So I, this is always like a, a thing to me with old-time baseball fans. And, and yes, old people who I normally war with all the time when I do sports talk radio, you old crusty curmudgeons who like to say back in my day or preface, every, preface any phone call that you have with back when I was at Forbes Field rooting for Clemente and that. I'm actually appealing to you on this one because there's a split amongst you. When it comes to the old-timers, half of you say, well, back in my day, the games only lasted two and a half hours. The games only lasted two hours. Invariably, when we get on the time of game debate, you get into, well, the Mazeroski game was 10 to, not, 10 to 9, and it only lasted an hour and 59 minutes. You get that all the time. So there are some people who say that the game has gone too slowly, and they remember how fast it was, and they want their game back. And then there are the other people who say, I don't want any artificial monkeying around with my game. The game has been this way forever. There is no clock involved, so let it be. So what do you want? Personally, I want the faster game. Personally, I want the shorter breaks. I don't want the mound visits. I want suspensions for managers who come out and argue or players who argue with umpires. Needlessly. Not just ejections, but suspensions. A game, two games, whatever. If that's part of the delay, and it is, then have that be punitive. So I'll take your thoughts on that too. 412-922-2874. And, and that's like, I'm serious about that, because I always, always find that the most interesting rift in this conversation is between the old timers, because they can't figure out what they want. Do they want it like it was when they were in their day when it was faster, or do they want it just to be normal and you are adverse to change, so you never want anything to be different? Now, meanwhile, 
You've got the Pirates, who will never be back to the way they were in your day, because in your day, they actually might have been good. And that's just never going to happen again. Pirates owner Bob Nutting, this is according to the Trib, spoke to the team before the first full squad workout of spring training, and his message on Monday didn't change despite a tumultuous offseason. Uh, this is what General Manager Neil Huntington said. Bob's message to the team was, in my hearing, similar to messages he has given in the past, we're here to win. We're here to bring a World Series championship, number six, back to Pittsburgh. We're here to help these guys be great. We're here to provide them with resources and to help them do their jobs to the best of their ability, and we're all in this thing together with one vision and one goal. Uh, No, you're not. That's a 100% falsehood. There couldn't be a bigger lie told than that. You do not all have the same goal. If you all had the same goal, then you wouldn't have done what you did, which was give away a top five. You don't have to call him an ace. A top five pitcher in Garrett Cole. You made your rotation worse, period. And you gave away a guy who was your best offensive threat from last year in Andrew McCutcheon. You are not on the same page with your player. Your greatest goal is not to win. Your greatest goal is to meet a certain level of financial return. So don't give me this line of BS that you're trying to be on the same page with the players. When you say you want to give them the best resources possible, the best resource possible is not, what's his name, Joe Musgrove or whatever, who you got for Garrett Cole and he's already hurt. That's that's not the best route to go if you think you're going to win this year. That's not the, the most quick step forward to world championship number six in Pittsburgh. You know, Clint Hurdle's line last week about, well, when we win a World Series, this place is going to explode. Well, yeah, it probably is going to explode because that won't happen until the Earth is sucked into the sun. And most things explode when they get sucked into the sun. And that'll be the next time the Pirates win a World Series. We'll talk Steelers when we come back. Dale Lolly joins me from DK Pittsburgh Sports. That's next. Tim Benson for Adam Crowley. Four o'clock hour of the Crowley Show. Trying to track down Dale Lolly, who was uh, my guest, or my co-host, rather. We had our guest, Arthur Motes, who was with us in the second hour of our program from the David L. Lawrence Convention Center on Saturday. And we also had Eli Rogers on Sunday, right here, as well as on SNR. And when we were on with those guys... A couple different topics came up that I'll get into with Dale when he joins us. But we got Dale now? All right, well, let's get right to it. All right, Dale Lolly joins us right now from DKPittsburghSports.com. Uh, you can check out Dale's work there, also on SNR. And you can see Dale um, and all of his work from the Combine coming up. Now, Dale, when are you leaving for the Combine? Because you're doing shows on SNR and ESPN Pittsburgh for those two, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going, uh, we're going out next Tuesday, and we'll be doing shows uh, Wednesday through Saturday. Excellent, and I imagine most of the conversation will be focused on what, safety and inside linebacker, right? Yeah, we're going to talk for four days about all the safeties and linebackers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell It'll me, be... all right, well, where's, where's their better depth of discussion when it comes to safeties and inside linebackers, in the draft or in free agency? Well, I think in, the, in, the, in free agency there's more depth at, at the safety position. Uh, there's some intriguing guys out there. Uh, the, the Kenny Vaccaros and those kind of types. Uh, 
um, that could certainly step in and, and start right away for the Steelers and, and give them some bang for their buck at that position. Um, the inside backers, I think, are I think is I think is a deeper position in the draft. Um, so I, I kind of I'm leaning towards the Steelers fixing things that way, um, and they and they've shown a a tendency to acquire free agent free safeties. Uh, they've done it time and again uh, over the years. That that's been one position that they haven't been afraid to to go out and spend money on. Um, so I, I think that's probably a safe bet on how they'll address at this uh, offseason. Yeah, Ryan Clark and even going back as far as Brent Alexander, Brent Alexander and, and those Mitchell guys, himself, yeah. right, exactly. And they've also done that at inside linebacker, too. They've gone out and gotten free agents in the past. I mean, they got, obviously, James Ferrier. They brought yeah, back Mike Jones. Like, yeah, Mike Mike Jones. Jones. That. Yeah, they brought yeah. back Larry Foote. Uh, they even went out and got Kieran Fox for, you know, like half special teams and half to play inside linebackers. So I think part of the reason for that, Dale, is that those two positions usually don't make enough splash that you find yourself spending a ton in free agency at those spots either. Yeah, I mean, those aren't high-priority spots. It's kind of like the guard position. Um, you know, when you're, when you're drafting, you're drafting guys who, you know, left tackle or a running back or, you know, a quarterback or those kind of things. And typically, you know, guard, uh, center, safety, inside linebackers, those aren't typical uh, high-profile spots. Now, the Steelers have used some picks on high-profile guys at those spots, I mean, you know, they've got DeCastro, they've got Pouncey, uh, even Lawrence Timmons uh, was was an inside linebacker they drafted in the first round. Uh, but traditionally, those aren't spots that you take high in the draft or put a high priority on. Um, so, yeah, they don't cost as much, and you're able to kind of plug and play some guys at those spots as well. Well, what's the inside linebacker that they get to replace Shazier going to look like? I mean, is it going to be what we're used to seeing in the old school version of what a 3-4 inside linebacker was? Or is it going to be like the hope anyway, the body type of what Ryan Shazier had been for them? Maybe kind of like what Telvin Smith has been for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, I think I think those are the kind of guys that you need, the guys who can cover uh, first and you know, do everything else second, or or be a well have a well rounded game, I should say, um, just because of the way the game has changed. Um, you know, we, we've seen that with the outside linebacker position; they they're dropping them into coverage more. So you need those guys who are able to do those kind of things to be uh, a little bit of everything. And I, I you know, it's going to be difficult to replace Ryan Shazier. He was a guy that that could make plays on them at all three levels of the defense. Um, you know, can you find that with the 28th pick in the draft? Uh, can you find that with, uh, you know, in, in free agency? Well, you know, it's probably, probably not in free agency. I mean, if guys have a guy like that, they're not going to let him, or if teams have a guy like that, you're not going to let him hit free agency. So you kind of have to try to find that in the draft. And, you know, maybe you don't get a guy who is exactly like Ryan Chazier. I mean, he's kind of a, uh, there aren't many of those guys walking around, guys who are, you know, 230 pounds and run a 4440. Uh, that's just not the norm. Um, but maybe you find a guy who brings some other things to the table that you can then, you know, build your defense around that guy. One thing we didn't talk about, Dale, over the weekend really was the offensive line. You alluded to guard earlier. How much of a possibility is that 
that Ryan, excuse me, that Ramon Foster is not back with the team next year, and they go with B.J. Finney as the other starter at guard besides DeCastro? I, I don't see that being much of a possibility. Um, you know, Ramon's got another year left on his contract. Uh, he's not making a bunch of money. Uh, you know, I just think that that uh, with the leadership that he brings you, uh, there are so there are so many teams out there that that are hurting on the offensive line that don't have quality guys. I mean, they're lucky if they have two or three quality guys, let alone five or six. And that the Steelers are really fortunate that they have that many. Uh, it's a nice conversation to have. Um, but I think it's the same thing with you know with Chris Hubbard. I mean, Chris Hubbard's going to get a big payday in free agency uh, because there just aren't that many guys out there. There aren't enough quality offensive linemen out there. So if you have quality offensive linemen, uh, I just can't see letting them go or, or, or cutting them. Um, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. And I don't think that Ramon Foster's play is what's to the point where, you know, you, you get to that point. Dale Lally from DKPittsburghSports.com with us. Is Gerald Hawkins ready to be the next Chris Hubbard? He's going to have to be. Um, I, I saw some signs from him. Uh, you know, you, you watched him in training camp, and it was like, man, this, you know, he really didn't improve much from last year. And, of course, he missed, you know, most of his rookie year. But, you know, the way that they were able to kind of work him into this, into things as that extra tight end and as that sixth offensive lineman, um, I thought was really beneficial for him. And I thought he did some good things in that role. So, you know, maybe he makes, takes the next step uh, in this offseason and becomes that, that uh, swing, swing guy and, you know, a potential starter down the road. What did you take away from our conversation with Arthur Motes, who is potentially an outgoing Steeler? We'll see if they decide to try to keep him as a depth outside linebacker. But what did you take away from our conversation with him about the view that the team has of its own front seven moving forward? Just that they, I mean, you know, they want, and it's not something that we didn't know already, but they were asking their outside linebackers to, to cover more. Um, you know, they're not necessarily the guys who are going to be rushing 100% of the time or 90% of the time. Uh, they're, they're dropping in the coverage more. And, that, you know, that was a big reason why James Harrison wasn't playing um, last season. I thought they could have found some kind of role to use him in. Um, you know, even if it was a situational pass rusher late in games, they could have perhaps done that, but, um, you know, they want their outside linebackers to have the ability to be able to drop in the coverage. And, you know, that, that's, I guess, where the game is going now, or at least that's their idea of where the game is going now. So, um, but, uh, you know, they, they if the front seven needs to stop the run better. Uh, they need to be better, um, I think, cohesively as a unit. I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with the run stopping. I, I think... At times last year, especially early in the season, maybe they counted on Ryan Shazier's athleticism a little bit too much, and that made up for some of the mistakes that they were making. And then once you didn't have him and that and that you know just off the charts athleticism, uh, you saw that some of those mistakes were kind of magnified that they made, and you know they didn't have anybody that could fill some of those holes. Do you think that the team has a higher opinion now of Vince Williams than it did to start the year, the same or less? Uh, I, I think it's probably about the same. I think they were reasonably happy going into the season last year with Vince Williams. I mean, they, they had chances. I know they, they went out and looked at Dante Haytower. Um, but there were other guys out there, other starting quality inside linebackers who were available, and they didn't go after any of those guys, the Zach Browns and, and, the, and those type of guys. 
So they felt pretty confident about Vince Williams' ability. Now, if they had an opportunity to get Dante Hightower, they were going to at least look into that. Uh, he, you know, he's a you know a Pro Bowl caliber player. Um, you know, so I think they feel pretty comfortable with what Vince is if he's next to Ryan Shazier. But now he's your lead guy inside. Do you feel comfortable with that? That's that's a completely different question. We talked about inside linebackers before. I know on Saturday you brought up the name from Tennessee, Avery Williamson, that he might be the best fit, 26, coming off his uh, was it first contract. Navarro Bowman, guys like that, 30, injury history. Derek Johnson, big name, 35, injury history. Uh, there's just not much. What is it about Williamson that makes you think that he would be the kind of guy that they might be interested in? Well, I mean, when you look at what they've traditionally done when they've signed big-time free agents or big-name free agents, it's been those guys coming off their first contract. And, you know, Williamson's a solid run. So he's, he's kind of a Vince Williams clone um, in, in that, you know, he's a, he's a solid run stuffer. He's a big hitter. Um, you know, not the best in coverage, but he at least can do it. And he's played in a similar style defense. I mean, I think he would be a nice fit for them. Um, you know, I think the name to keep, a, keep an eye on is Lawrence Timmons. What's Miami going to do with Lawrence Timmons? Um, now, they only save, I think, a million dollars by releasing him, but, you know, they, they want to upgrade over him. So it's going to be interesting to see if he gets released here in the next couple of weeks or at some point down the road if they're able to draft the guy inside and they decide to uh, cut bait with Lawrence Timmons. I would expect him to be on the first plane to Pittsburgh if that happens. I'm with you when it comes to your comments about the safety position, though. In looking at the list of safeties, there are some familiar names uh, that stand out that I feel could be a, a decent fit. Like, you know, one, one that you, you mentioned, Vaccaro. Another one I'll give you that I kind of was intrigued by was uh, Trey Boston from the Chargers. Yeah, Trey Boston to me is kind of like Mike Mitchell in that he started out in Carolina and, and, and kind of, you know, was okay there, but nothing great. And then last year he goes to the Chargers and has a big year on a one-year deal. And so he's a free agent again. Um, so you're kind of getting, is he really that guy who had, you know, what do you have, six interceptions last year? Or is he, you know, uh, did, he, did he just kind of have a great year? So I'm, I, I'm not necessarily completely sold on him. Um, you know, there's there's some other older guys there as well, but it's not a bad group overall. And I know they liked Vaccaro when he was coming out of college. Um, that would be a guy that I would keep an eye on. Not to hopscotch here, but um, what about Paul Puzlozny if he's not retained by the Jaguars? That would be interesting. Um, he just doesn't he, run like he used to. He, he doesn't, and it would have to be kind of a one-year rental, kind of a somebody that comes in and, and, and kind of mentors your your older or your your rookie that you're you're bringing in there, uh, and of course you know there's the you know the Tom Bradley factor. I mean he knows the the kid. He coached him in college. Um, now he's coaching a different position with the Steelers, but the same thing with Navarro Bowman. I mean there's that's another Penn State guy. <laughs> and, and you know there's there's some interesting guys out there, but they would be they would be kind of be one year rental kind of guys. And I think those would be the kind of moves that you would make maybe a little bit later in the free agents uh, process, maybe even after the draft and see after the dust settles and you just bring a guy in on a one-year veteran minimum deal. Finally, Dale, was the biggest revelation to you this weekend, as it was to me, that Eli Rogers had been here for three years and didn't know where the convention center was? 
<laughs> that was a pretty good, pretty big one. But you know what? I mean, how often do you go there? I don't know. If you, if you ever go downtown, I I could see not knowing exactly where it's at. But, but I mean, like at any point when you're driving to Heinz Field or away from Heinz Field, do you ever look across the river and say, hey, what's that big building over there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, is that a uh, is that some, somebody's dome or something? Is <laughs> they play football games in there? Uh, it was kind of weird. But he just uh, he seemed stunned that there was a building that was that the size enough to host cars in it, let alone many cars in it, <laughs> like we were there for. Yeah, well, some of these guys get caught up in their own stuff and they really don't pay attention. I mean, you know, a lot of times during football season too, if you if you don't spend the off season here, think about it. In in football season, you know. When we had Sean Davis on the other day on Friday night, he was talking about how he gets up at six in the morning and would go go to the Steeler offices, and he's not getting home until six at night. So it's dark and it's dark during football season for the most of it. You know, you're really not getting to see a lot of the town. Do you think they keep him? By the way, Eli, I don't know what other options he's going to have. I mean, seriously, you think he just signs here for like a veteran minimum then, or yeah, he's, I mean, he's going to have to basically sign a one year prove it deal. Uh, I mean, who else is going to sign him coming off an ACL injury? Yeah. I mean, probably... you know, and their Steeler, the, the Steelers' doctors will have done the surgery on it, or they have done the surgery on it. I mean, they're going to have the best idea of, of what his long-term prognosis is and what it's going to take for him to get back on the field. And it's going to be, you know, four to six months. So he's probably not signing with anybody until right before training camp. Dale, thanks. We'll catch up with you again soon. Enjoy the Combine. All right, Tim, we'll talk to you. All right, Dale Lawley from DKPittsburghSports.com, as well as the Steeler pregame show and SNR. We're going to play some of those comments from Arthur Motes for you coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. No, that, that, that seriously happened. Like, Tom, you were there for that, right? The Eli Rogers conversation? I was there for it, yes. I didn't know this building was here. Well, I mean, that's probably why he was late, is that he just didn't. Convention Center, where's that? Like, he's going to the Javits Center in New York or something like that. Well, it's a small convention center, so. By whose standards? Uh, Eli's standards. By, <laughs> he was like, I don't know what he's looking for. And like like Dale said, like the Astrodome or something like that. I, he's just seemed baffled. But anyway, hopefully he gets healthy, and if he could play next year as a fourth or fifth receiver for the Steelers, then uh, good, keep him around on a veteran minimum contract. I just thought he started to play better as the year went along a season ago. All right, uh, when we come back, i got to follow up on the Laura Ingram comments that she made. Uh, about LeBron James, because apparently LeBron listened to her and heeded her advice. It's coming up next. Tim Benson for Adam Crowley.